This is the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast, powered by Right Hook Digital, with your hosts Scott Seward and Raymond Johnston. If you're an e-commerce brand founder, entrepreneur, or marketer looking to accelerate profitable growth for your business, then listen in, because this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast. Today we are diving into you know, a little bit of that black box area that's a bit of a mystery to a lot of brands and a lot of founders. And we're, we're talking influencer marketing today with um, Mr. Taylor Legace from Kinship. Taylor, welcome. Really pumped to have this discussion. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Excited for this one, guys. Ray, Scott, appreciate you having me. Excited to chat all things influencer, the black box, the sexy channel, all of the above. It is. It is. It's uh, it's that mysterious world, and it is that sexy channel. You're 100 percent right, and I think it's it's got a lot of appeal to a lot of brands. But the struggle is brands really just don't know how to crack it, or how to I think view it from an ROI perspective, and, and to value, or you know, I guess define how they're getting the value from that channel. So I think that's a really a really good place to start. Um, like, well, I guess where did how did you get into this space, and what drew you to it? Um, and, and what was the, the background between kin, uh, behind Kinship and, and how that began? Yeah, great question. Um, well, I'll give you my background. So my background and what drew me to where I am today, um, started in the influencer marketing space about 10 years ago. Um, and that started a uh, typical college company. I played with, I played football, played football at UCLA. I, they gave me a jersey um, and I, I stood on the sideline a majority of the time. Uh, but one of my teammates happened to be P. Diddy's son, Justin Combs. P. Diddy's obviously like the A-list celebrity. Uh, Justin Combs is still a celebrity, but a B-list nonetheless. Um, and so we actually started an events company. Um, so your typical like college party company pretty much. But all that to say, basically this served as my initial trigger uh, and launch my like intrigue of the influencer market space. Because literally every ticket sale to every party every you know product placement sponsor every dollar of revenue was generated off the backs of them just posting on the social media accounts now the algorithms have changed where that's probably not as possible as it was back then outside of what we've seen on tiktok right now uh, that social algorithm is obviously going wild but that was just my first touch point with the influencer market space 10 years that kind of set me off on my career path from there worked at an nfl marketing agency where we represented guys like aaron Rodgers, clay matthews think state farm commercials with those kind of with those kind of players so very macro uh then transitioned into the paid media uh space where i built out the influencer marketing department at common thread collective um and then from there they actually seed funded us and launched helped launch us three years ago to start kinship with my partner cody Wittick, who built out the influence department at kalo prior to partnering up with myself and common thread and launching kinship here but all throughout Long story short, influencer marketing in different capacities, micro, macro, celebrity, paid media, content, all of the above. Amazing. Great team you got over there backing you as well at CTC. Very, very solid crew. Um, they're awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, we've got a lot of respect for the guys over there. Amazing, amazing group. So let's, let's I mean, let's look at where influencers are generally sort of viewed at the moment and, and you mentioned like the micro and the macro and if we're looking at micro as maybe more the product seeding side how do you view the the approach to those two categories the differences between them um and yeah just some of the strategies that, that you're using on either side 
Well, I'll start with micro versus macro. And you brought up product seeding. Um, product seeding is just the foundations to any relationship you're looking to build with any influencer at any level, honestly, micro, mid-tier, macro, celebrity. Um, we would recommend starting the relationships with any of these tiers through seeding. It just lends itself to genuine relationships being built that ultimately lead to the most output from the influencers, which leads to what you want, which is revenue. So we'll break down what that means and how that looks. But micro versus macro, what I typically tell clients before entering into a partnership and what I would tell any client looking to do this internally or any company looking to do this internally, I would always recommend going with micro-influencers and how we define that. Obviously, that's a broad term and everyone has their own definition is between 5K and 150,000. So why do we specifically focus and hone in on this group? Variety of reasons here, but basically in short, more niche audience. Um, if you have a customer, you know, you uh, have a target demographic with, it's easier to hone in on that audience when the it's a micro-influencer in comparison to a macro-influencer. Micro-influencers typically have followers that follow them for one reason and comparison to a macro that, you know, these people follow them for a variety of reasons. Then on a per-follower basis, micro-influencers have greater reach, greater engagement, um, greater conversion rate. And in addition to all of that, they just provide more content. And so when we're seeding influencers, we're reaching out to them saying, hey, we want to send you product, no strings attached. You know, we just love your content, your profile. We think you love our product. We want to send it to you. No expectation of you to post whatsoever. There's greater opt-in from micro-influencers. There's greater response from those influencers. And there's greater likelihood that they actually post. And then not only that, there's greater likelihood that they give usage rights free of cost. You fall for usage rights from a macro or celebrity asking for usage rights, immediately relay you to their agent, their manager, and then they ask for $10,000 there's no drop off in the quality of the content that's actually being posted for you then to repurpose into paid media. So for all of those reasons, I would recommend honing in on that micro level. Again, on a per follower basis, greater metrics across the board, more content, more free content, and there's no drop off in the quality of it. So I would hone in on that. So that's one part of your question here, micro versus macro, how we think about it regardless if there's an influencer that is a macro or celebrity that they do want to build a relationship with though, this is the way to start the relationship, which is through seeding, which leads us into what seeding is. The other problem in the space of what makes it such a black box is when everyone thinks about influencer marketing outside of our space, they think of Kim Kardashian posting a picture, you know, of her backside wearing Spanx or something uh, and, and tagging it. That's like literally not... <sighs> at all what it is we do or what influencer marketing is at large. It can be, you know, but how we recommend doing it is through influencer seeding, which is just building general relationships. With these people setting out your product with uh, messaging that lets them know you just love their content, their profile. You want to send them product, no strings attached, build a relationship in that way. It will lead to free posts. It will lead to you identifying authentic, genuine product adopters that can ultimately go into, you know, lanes of mass content creation as a pipeline affiliate programs being built out, and then you identifying top performing influencers that you can contractualize on an ongoing basis. But a long-winded answer, I'll stop there. Um, yeah, would love to have a chat though. With uh, When you're seeding like that, and you mentioned micro, and you mentioned that you try not to have any strings attached, but when they do post something and you like it, how do you recommend brands 
Like what's like the, um, like the social kindness of then trying to use that content for another, like, is there any like quid pro quo, essentially you kind of recommend your brands of how you deal with that content that an influencer does post if they were a micro. Yeah. So as soon as they post, you know, our team, it's all about so long as you build the relationship on the foundations of no strings attached, right? After they post that relationship has already been built at this point. So we're reaching back out to them saying, Hey, Ray, so glad you love the product. We sent you so much. So you're willing to share this content with your audience. Hey, we'd love to be able to share this content with our audiences as well. Can we have the rights to do so? And since we have built that relationship in the right way, since they are micro influencers, there's not agents in their ears. There's not management in their ears. These people 90% of the time are like, yeah, Taylor. Yeah. Kinship, please. Uh, not please. They're not saying please, but they're like, yeah, I don't care. You know, go ahead and repurpose this into Facebook ads. Use it at your own discretion across your distribution channel. They don't mind. With a brand like Kit, and I followed, I followed their growth for years. And so I'm, I'm just really cool that you are a part of that, and especially everything they did on the influencer side. With a brand Kayla, for example, um, seeing the success that it took, how, like how has that really framed your long-term partnership with the brands you work with? Because I'm sure you probably started micro, but then like, how did your strategy change over time to scale that brand? So Kayla was actually my partner and uh, my partner's background where Cody used to work, but they just spread, they basically just wanted to own the category of CrossFit. So they actually like seated all the micro influencers in the space. They seated all the top performing CrossFit influencers in the space who, if you like, if you define micro as like a following, they're all kind of micros at the end of the day, but there are macros within that community, quote unquote, just from how much influence they have on the community. They seated all the nonprofits within that community. They basically just made their product feel like it was literally everywhere within that space. Um, and because they were able to right? the cogs of that product you know, or like 10 cents, it's a silicone wedding ring. So they could literally send out thousands on thousands of rings each month to, to the point where their product literally was everywhere and in everyone's hands. I love to ask um, a question about like, how can you build a successful influencer program? We've spoken to hundreds of brands, I'm sure you have as well, where, where they say that they've tried it, but obviously they're still missing key fundamentals that build a long lasting influencer program. So what would be your word of advice? Like what are the fundamentals they have to focus on to make it successful? It depends what you want out of it, right? I think people aren't looking at influencer marketing through the right lens a lot of the time. They are looking through the lens of, again, going just back to what's typical and standard. I pay this much for this person to post, which is already... Eh, like, please don't do that. And how much did it return on this feed post on Instagram or on TikTok? That's just altogether the wrong way to go about this. One, from the start of paying for that post, and two, strictly looking through the lens of the value immediately being returned on that post alone to gauge if this was successful or not. So, like, when we're in, within our process, we're identifying reaching out to 500 influencers, and I'll circle this back to how you could gauge if this was successful or not for you. Out of those 500, again, we're reaching out with no strings attached messaging saying we have no expectation of them to post whatsoever. Typically, we see a minimum of 20% opt-in to receive product. And for those that are listening in that want to try this internally, you may not be able to do it at this scale, to scale it down to how many you're identifying, but apply these percentages to gauge if it was successful or not for you. Out of 500 and sending out that message, we typically see 100, minimum of 20%, 100 influencers opt-in to receive product. 
We then send them an unboxing experience with the product, make it look good. Again, this is another first impression, first touch point. If you make it look pretty, it's an unboxing experience. It's a greater impression, not only that, but it also lends itself to higher post rates. We've seen that. Out of the 100 that receive the product, we typically see a minimum of 30% end up posting. So 30 influencers on average posting two to three pieces of media each. 60 to 90 posts in total, we fall for usage rights to that content. Typically 90% allow you to have usage rights to that to then repurpose into paid media. So how do we gauge if this was successful? Again, if you're doing this internally, just from the content alone, for the cost of the COGS of sending out 100 products, let's say your COGS are 20 bucks, for the cost of $2,000, you just got 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 posts. If you go to any influencer marketing agency in the world to go get you 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 assets, you're looking at a minimum fee of 30K. And now let's go on the other side of the coin of you go to any studio shoot for 60 to 90 unique assets. I mean, you tell me, I mean, our partners at Common Thread for five concepts, 30 to 40 iterations on it, that's 15K minimum. I was going to say, um, figures. Yeah, you know, so from 60 to 90 unique assets from top performing, I, don't, I can leave top performing, I don't need to sell it. These are professional content creators that have proven to create content that works and that goes viral and that scales on the exact platforms that you're looking to advertise on. So what better content to repurpose into paid that's worked really well as organic. So on both sides of the coin, was it worth it? 60 to 90 unique assets, 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 posts organically for $2,000. Anybody that says that's not worth it, I'm really interested where they're getting that organic traffic for that cost and where they're getting that amount of content for that cost because I don't see it anywhere else. I think there's a massive arbitrage opportunity when it comes to influencer marketing right now within the landscape that exists. I, I agree. And, and it's it's also the, that type of content is the, the content that works the best with paid advertising, right? Because it is native to the platform. It's not studio shot content, which feels typically overproduced. I, I think it's so hard to, to put a dollar value on it, but I think that leads us to a really good um, area of, when you're having that discussion with with brands, um, how do you communicate the the ROI aspect and how they should be viewing it? Yeah, great question. You read my mind too. That's what I wanted to say uh, next. So obviously, the the biggest you know roadblock per se that we all experience on these calls is exactly that because, and even more so probably within our strategy of no strings attached because. Then I'm not providing these influencers. We're not providing these influencers and tracking links to get a gauge of what the sales uh, were that came in from their posts. Because the minute we do that is the minute our entire philosophy is a gimmick. Like, wait, I thought they said they don't have me, any expectations of me to post. Why are they sending us a tracking link? We don't. We can't do that. It, it negates the philosophy. And so, basically, what we communicate to brands: okay, our process when broken down, ends up with 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 assets. Okay, so let's average out 60 to 90 at 75. 75 posts from 30 influencers with an average following, let's say, again, between 5K and 150K. Let's, you know, say 50K. 50K times 70, you know, five posts. We're looking at 3.75 million impressions. 1% um, click-through rate. Or, you know, it's... Oh man, what was this math? 3.75 million impressions, then 
1% click-through rate. We have 37,500 website visits, 1% conversion rate, 375 purchases. Uh, sorry, I had a little brain fart there real quick. Um, but and those are pretty conservative, right? You know, 1% click-through rate, that's actually pretty decent average there. 1% conversion rate, if you have 1% conversion rate, you need, you need some work. Um, so I think this entire model as well is relatively conservative. And then 375 purchases times your AOV, your LTV, whatever you're most comfortable with. That's what you can expect at a minimum from the return uh, on the organic side alone. So ROI on the organic side alone. And I really would say that 3.75 million collective impressions views is incredibly conservative in of itself as well. Because literally, you know, on our last campaign, our bread and butter client is like between 2 million and 30 million, but we work with M&Ms is like one of the household brands we work with. And literally one of their posts alone achieved 3.75 million impressions. So especially on TikTok, there's a very unique opportunity there where if you're activating 30 influencers posting on TikTok right now, one of those posts is bound to go viral um, where it will far exceed that 3.75 million. So that breakdown that I just gave that leads to 375 purchases from the organic performance alone is really conservative. And then again, that's half the value. What are 60 to 90 unique assets worth to your business? It, and that, that's the, the biggest part, I think, for us, right? So one of the biggest challenges we have and brands coming to us, they don't know what content to create. They're asking for guidance on that. For a $2,000 investment in COGS, you end up with 30 pieces of UGC. That's a piece of content you can test every day for a month. Right, you 60 to 90 of pieces of UGC. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's huge. You get one of those right, and that's scalable to six figures in, in return on, on ad spend. So it's the lateral yeah. side of the, on the pay that, that isn't being considered strongly enough, I don't think. Right. And they, I'm never going... The minute I tell a client that I would be better at creating content than this person that has proven to do so on the platform we're looking to advertise on, I'm lying. I'm a cold stone liar. Um, these people have proven to do it time and time again on a daily basis, where they're literally posting 24-7 about their daily lives and how products seamlessly organically integrate into them, which, as you've already said, is the most native content to the platform in of itself. So, yeah, we always try to lean into them. Like, basically, that's kind of what led me to actually pursue Kinship three years ago from seeing how this content competed against studio shoots uh, at Common Thread, you know. Like, what are we doing? Like studio shoots cost X amount for this and I can get better performing content for cheaper from influencers. Like, okay, there's a massive opportunity here that probably won't exist for, you know, forever, but right now it does. And so it's a massive opportunity. Why do you think that won't exist? Where do you see it heading? Well, nothing, nothing this good exists forever. So, I mean, that, that alone lets me, leads me to believe that. Um, but I just believe, you know, at some point, there's just going to be a, a learning curve that takes place, right? Where micro-influencers will become more savvy in their content being repurposed, at least on the front of, I think seeding will always lead to free posts from influencers on social media platforms. I do think that. But there will be a time where these influencers will become more savvy, regardless of agents and managers, you know, being a part of their lives. Well, they'll understand, no, this is really valuable. Um, and me giving you usage rights to repurpose this in paid media. So I think people will become more in the know of that or they'll be less likely to share 
you know, usage rights to their content. Where we're getting 90% now, I think as time progresses, that will dwindle and the amount that we're actually getting usage rights to. I hope not, but you asked, so I think that's probably what it will be in the future. You mentioned a couple of things there, you know, the influencers becoming more, I guess, business savvy, um, and then the usage rights component of it. So how, at the moment, what's your recommendation in terms of how people approach those negotiations to to get, you know, a, a, a deal that works from both sides? Well, what I would recommend is start with seeding. Because again, you're starting the relationship off by doing something for them. So it's kind of like the theory of like reciprocity, right? You do something for them. They feel like they owe you something. It's obviously not being presented that way, but that's at play here. And so I would recommend starting it that way. And then the last message they got from us, right, is, hey, we just want to send this to you, no strings attached. We just love you and your content, what you're all about. We think you love our product. Send us your address. We'll get this right out to you. That's the last message they heard from us. The next message they get is after they post that we didn't ask for saying, hey, we love this. We'd love to use it as well on our end. Can we have the rights to do so? Something like very hands-off, not aggressive. So if you can set yourself up in that way, that's what I would recommend. Make sure you get that though. Because what I also think is going to happen in the influencer marketing space is I genuinely think more and more lawyers are going to come in, sharks are going to come in, and they're going to understand the opportunity at play here around lawsuits you know at some point that's going to be here um like i have a buddy that i actually played college ball with at ucla who um he actually applied i won't name brands but or people he applied to be a part of this uh, program that this brand had to be one of their influencers ambassadors they denied him and then he saw he got served an ad of him in it you know representing their product he sent to me, he was like, what is this? And I went to their ad library and I saw him in a bunch of their ads. I recorded it, sent it to him. He's suing him for $500,000. You're going to probably settle at $250,000. And he would have done it for 50 bucks. He probably would have done it for, he probably would have done it for free if they just asked. Um, right? so they just killed a relationship. Incredibly, incredibly pertinent to ask for those usage rights. Uh, just because it's going to be more and more of a thing from these influencers becoming more in the know and becoming more savvy. Um, and you just don't want to, like you said, ruin that relationship and burn it. Yeah. All you've, all you've got as a brand for any business is your reputation. And I think doing things that are underhanded like that, not doing yourself any right. favor in the long term. is very no. term thinking. Um, what do you advise for, for brands trying to find the right influences? Because there's obviously so many micro influences out there finding the right ones that fit your brand. Do you guys have a process for that? And, and can you walk us through it? Yeah. So we use a search engine platform called Tagger. Um, and again, for those looking to do this internally, maybe uh, as a test, this might not be the platform for you. It costs like $2,000 per month, right around there. Yeah. If you want to do a test internally, what I would recommend is getting on uh, Facebook brand collabs manager, and then use to identify people on Instagram uh, they have a good platform. It's for free. Um, it's not tagger, but it's free and it will help you find the people based off the quantitative data you have. And then on TikTok, you create a marketplace. Both are great uh, platforms to be able to identify the right people based off of you know, the quantitative data that you have in mind. And so basically when we're identifying influencers, like that list of 500 influencers on behalf of our partners, we have a kickoff call with them where we basically get in the know and lean into them on all the information that they have on their customers, 
okay, who influences those customers and who is that customer? Those are the two ways that we think about it. Who is this customer? Because we want to get content and posts from those types of people that represent that community. And then what type of person, what type of persona influences that community? We get aligned on all of that quantitative data, plug it into the system. And then from there, there's a very white glove approach that this entails where you have to go into all these profiles, go into their you know, Instagram stories, go in onto their YouTubes if they have one, go onto their TikToks and get a gauge of who's posting a lot of video content. Because when we're seeding them, that's what we want to get out of this. We want to get video content consistently. Uh, so we have to see who's posting that consistently and who does that well. Um, and that's where you got to get a gauge of the qualitative here, which is video content creation. ability. Are they capturing my attention in the first three seconds? Are they thumb stopping? Are they charismatic? Can they articulate you know, our brand message, our product messaging? Makes a long story short, if I put product in their hand and they create a video content and post it, would it sell me on it? That's the most important, even above the quantitative uh, metrics here that we're trying to get aligned on. I was going to ask those boxes are about that. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Uh, how much... How much does the style that they make the content come into play when you're picking an influencer? Because there's different styles. And I wonder, like for some brands, because we will we will try to get creators to make just content for advertisement a, a lot for our brands. But like style is a big part. I wonder at the scale you guys go into for your brands, like does style come into play? Like how they make the content? For example, like are they doing multiple shots, multiple cuts, anything like that? Yeah, great question. The main things we're looking for, again, is that kind of that checklist, like thumb stopping. Can they grab my attention? Are they articulate? Are they charismatic? Does their content jump out on screen? Like basically, the really lens we're looking through is, can they sell me on this product? If I was to put it in their hands. Am I confident in that through their video content? So that it really comes down to the way that they speak, um, as well as on TikTok. Can they create those, you know, short, choppy videos, 15 seconds, long form videos, kind of all of the above. One, that box needs to be checked, all of those things. But then two, again, their cadence and how often they're putting out video content. Because again, we wanted to make sure that if we are to put a uh, product in their hands, transparently speaking, we do not want static imagery. Uh, are we mad if that gets posted? Um, no, it's still a post. It still went live. It still was free of cost. Awesome. But what we're really after is that video content that can achieve all of those light items that kind of I just alluded to. But style-wise, like multiple styles, right? I don't know if you're going into like the type of videos that they put out, but seating really lends itself to a very diverse, giving, you know, a very diverse creative library. So as long as we stick to making sure they can check all those boxes, we're going to get those unboxing videos. You know, we're going to get those use case videos. We're going to get those testimonials. We are going to get all of the above. And that's kind of what we're after too. And then we can feed that to Facebook's machine learning system to determine what type of content is going to perform best within this given ad account on behalf of this brand. So I don't know if that answers your question, but no, it definitely does. Cause the next question was obviously different platforms. There's probably maybe different levels of work, maybe your numbers as well. Like if you're trying to get YouTube influencers, TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, like it, cause it's going to be different types of playing the numbers game to get them to respond. So I'd love to hear how is your approach different set for let's say like YouTube versus a TikTok Great question. Answers. Great question. So for seeding, we typically tell brands, hey, if you love this YouTube influencer, we're going to see them on Instagram, TikTok first. Why? Instagram and TikTok are the platforms that are people where people are constantly posting 24-7 about their lives. 
Like literally, it's the most seamless platform to post what's happening right now and where people most frequently do it in comparison to YouTube, about one video per week or something. So how does this play into our strategy and who we should seed and what platform should we seed them on? Free of cost posts, more likely to happen on Instagram and TikTok. So that's why we seed them there first. When we seed them product and they're just a YouTuber and we're trying to get them to post on YouTube, very less likely. Um, just because again, it's not as seamless. It, they're less likely to take it, you know, shoot it on their phone. Okay, I'll get to editing it later and putting into that long form video I'm gonna post on YouTube and where a majority of that entire video is actually sponsored by a company and all paid for. Um, it's more of a pay for post platform. So what we tell brands is, hey, let's start. All these YouTubers still have, you know, Instagrams and TikToks a lot of the time. Let's start by seeding them and reaching out to them on their Instagram or TikTok, get them to post there if their content performs well, and they end up posting, they grant this usage rights, their content performs well organically, their content performs well on paid media. Hey, now let's go back and contractualize them to where YouTube post is actually a part of the agreement at that point. Um, once they prove to be a genuine product adopter, once they prove to be a top performer, now let's engage in that type of deal structure and activate them on platforms outside of Instagram and TikTok. When you've worked with a brand, and uh, let's say you're, you have a brand, you're working with a lot of influencers, you've been seeding for a while, you're starting to be on your third, fourth, fifth, sixth round of maybe some of these influencers, and you start to find a group of them, you know, they... They're very charismatic. They post very frequently. We're forming a really great relationship. Where does your mind go to now take those core groups of people that just work really well with the brand? And like, what does that next level look like? Yeah, so every month, right? Again, just to break it down, you get to those 30 influencers posting 60 to 90 assets as an immediate step with all 30 of them. Hey, Ray, so glad you know you loved our product so much so you want to share this content with your audience. Hey, we'd love to honor you for any and all future posts and get you compensated for those efforts and uh, get you onboarded on our affiliate program. So at a minimum, get all 30 of them onboarded to your affiliate program. You might as well. Why not? You know, if they make money by posting in the future and they get a percentage of it, awesome. Great. They're sweeping up low hanging fruit that you might as well get them to incentivize them to post more by doing that in of itself. Now we also recommend there might be none that month. There might be 10 that month. There might be 30 that month. Who knows? We recommend contractualizing the top performers out of that, that bunch. Now, a lot of the time on average, there probably would be like three to five. And then we recommend, hey, let's go to the next level of these people. Each month, begin building out your paid brand ambassador program. Uh, I know I said, I might have said in the beginning, or we say pretty often, like the pay-per-post model is dead. We only think it's dead as the foundations of the relationship. But once you build the relationship through seeding, they prove to you know, post content for free. They prove to be a genuine product adopter. They prove to be easy to work with by granting you usage rights for free, like all of the above. When you go back to them and negotiate like a paid partnership, you guys know this. I mean, when someone genuinely loves the product, their price points get slashed in half too. So it's going to be way more cost effective. Um, but we recommend actually playing the pay for post model at that point where you're getting ongoing content from them. You're getting ongoing organic activations from them. Maybe do some whitelisting, all of the above, right? That's where a more expansive relationship comes into play. I appreciate that. Go ahead, yeah, I was just going to ask, when you get to that, that stage with the paper post model, how, how are you assessing 
I guess the right price to be paying them for a post. Like, how, how are you how are you making that decision? Is there a limit? Is it based on the amount of traffic, their audience size? What what factors are going into play there? Transparently speaking, the best deal we can get, um, and what we've seen, because it still is the wild wild west. Um, so, are we ever really paying someone? We're probably paying people under their deserving value which I'm just speaking transparently and out loud. I don't know how I feel about that. It's something we might need to assess, honestly. Um, but it's something that will be corrected as, as time progresses as well, just by the market. But what we're just going after is market rates. I mean, so what we've seen and what we've been able to get between, we start typically at 150 bucks between that group of people that I just suggested, you know, 5K to 150K, 150 bucks for three videos, an image and an organic post. We've been able to get it. And then when they say no, we go to 300. If they say no, we go to 500. And after that, we just kind of like, honestly, we've never really seen someone turn that down from seeding because you have started the relationship the right way. Now, if we didn't seed them to begin with, would we get those rates? No. A lot of the time, you know, three posts, like a post, three videos, and an image would be like between a thousand and two thousand bucks potentially. Uh, it could be way less from influencers that don't understand the value. Um, but because you started the relationship in the right way, 150 to 500 for those amount of assets is what we typically go for, especially after building the relationship with seating and been able to get it. Um, so put that to the test to anybody listening after you seed, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm really loving your seating model. We have a recent experience with one of the brands we work with where they actually got on the radar of, of the generous of all people. And and for whatever reason, the Jenners did a free a free um, Instagram story. So it wasn't like a post, but Instagram story of that brand. And what was really fascinating is um, the brand was thinking about reaching out, say if they want to do some kind of a, a real deal with the, with the brand because they liked the product. But then their frustration was that it didn't do anything to their business. Just posting an Instagram story and tagging them didn't do anything to their Instagram or to their business. And I would love to get your thoughts on that. Working with like really big influencers versus micro, um, how do you guys navigate that? Especially, the, especially the, the big influencers that they do post a lot of products or a lot of um, other partnerships to where it may get drowned out. Yeah, so I don't know what this brand was, but kind of circling back to what we kind of chatted about in the very beginning, like macro versus micro. Like <laughs> my immediate thought is like. Yeah, they may not have performed in Instagram stories, but frick, let's repurpose them to paid ads and this thing will take off and scale through the roof probably. Um, but the minute you fall for usage rights to whichever Jenner posted, yeah, it's $100,000, whatever it is to be able to repurpose this for 30 days usage rights, right? And so it just becomes absurd um, and probably not worth it. And that's even without white listings to where like not everyone even recognize it's, you know, Jenner so on and so forth. So how we think about it, it doesn't surprise me, you know, Instagram stories, especially we'd recommend seeding people on TikTok as well, just because Instagram and all other social media platforms really right now, the algorithm limits you to pretty much reach 10% of your audience, you know? So if you have a million followers, you're probably reaching, you know, a hundred thousand of them. And then you're only really getting two to 3% engagement uh, on that. So it's like, you know, 20,000 to 30,000 engagements on, on a million followers. Uh, hopefully that math was was proper. Um, and so it's not like the biggest deal. And then stories only last 24 hours. Whereas on TikTok, though, again, 
you have like the unlimited capacity to not only reach 10% of your audience or your entire audience, but transcend that tenfold. Uh, so long as you continue to beat the algorithm. And again, when you have 30 influencers posting on those on that platform, one is bound to do so. But micro to macro, to go back to your initial question there, again, I whatever that brand was, their product would be much easier to activate with micro influencers. Like just because there's a billion reasons why people fall, not a billion, but there's at least 10 why people fall this Jenner. And again, there's only one reason why someone follows this person. If you can align that one reason with what this product is after in a demographic, you're going to strike gold there. And that's why I would recommend. And basically, you know, you can get a hundred micros to post about your brand for free through product seeding in comparison to, you know, Chris, I mean, Jenner, whatever. I don't know what Jenner you said, but let's just say Chris Jenner for purposes of this example. A lot of the times they are much less likely to post for free. Uh, but even comparing the two, this hundred versus the one, it's probably the same aggregate following, you know, whatever it is, their total follower count, probably the same aggregate following, but way greater reach within that following, way greater engagement within that following, way greater conversion rate, way a hundred times more content that was posted and a hundred times more content than now you can follow up for usage rights to and repurpose it free of cost without that hundred thousand dollar, you know, ticket price that that agent or that manager is inevitably going to get back to you with. So again, I would just highly recommend micro, micro, micro 5k to 150k. Um, Cause you're always gonna get more bang for your buck. And especially if they're on TikTok, they might very well get the same level of impressions as that macro, if not more than that. For sure, you have a greater odds of getting, I will bet my bottom dollar that 30 influencers posting on TikTok with, as micro-influencers would get greater reach, engagement, and more conversions, all of the above, than that post by Jenner on Instagram stories. So I just I love the world we live in. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I'm, a topic I really want to ask you about as you were coming on today is, is we all work with e-com brands and how have things really shifted for you recently, especially hate to bring it up, but iOS 14, people are having to shift. They're having to focus on other traffic sources. I'd love to hear about just what you're seeing from uh, really from the brands you work with, like how has that shifted and impacted you and the brands you work with? Apparently speaking, it's benefited us a ton. I mean, from what you just said, uh, people are shifting budgets into channels that will lend itself incredibly well to organic. Uh, a great channel to do that, influencer marketing. And as Facebook faces iOS 14 updates, it becomes, we don't really see it as an effectiveness issue. We see it as an attribution issue and visibility into attribution, um, which is still an issue. But from an effectiveness standpoint, we haven't seen it really impact that very much. But if it does, it'll be, you know, pixel related in the sense of the machine learning system of Facebook being coming less effective. And when that becomes less effective, what becomes more important? Creative. And so it kind of like doubles down on our offering being kind of more valuable. Um, not only are they trying to shift budgets outside of this to get more organic traffic going and not being as reliant on Facebook, but shit, man, like our Facebook performance is dropping. We need to get better at this. The biggest variable of success to change that is creative. And 
I mean, like I just said, our process kind of lends itself to 60 to 90 unique assets per month to supplement those efforts. So candidly, it's helped uh, our situation as, as a agency, but for our brands, yeah, this is how we're able to come alongside them and help them uh, with this issue that they face to offset the challenges that iOS uh, updates bring. Yeah, I think it's, I agree 100% in, a, in the change with brand owners has to be thinking more multi-channel, omni-channel. You can't just rely on Facebook like we used to be able to and just run some ads and scale. Now you've, you've got to have it all, man. Like it's, it's We, we should have never, right? No one ever. Oh, ever but it just ever got so ever. easy, right? <laughs> Didn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah. And it's, it's a great, great chance. But what we do see, it's still, again, so the ecosystem that came from Common Thread, I don't know if, how familiar you guys are with them, but they created a platform called Statless, which is basically an analytical platform that brings all data from every single platform that you're on into one place. And the, the most interesting metric that I've seen from that is basically their post iOS 14 uh, report on all their brands where collectively there's over like $300 million of ad spend on it. And basically it measures and all these ad accounts were UTM linked, so on and so forth. It measures MER, it measures Facebook ROAS, and it measures last click GA ROAS. And it measures how all three of those were impacted before and after iOS 14 FTP. And what it's been able to show is Facebook attribution across all the brands on there, across all $300 million of ad spend. Facebook visibility into attribution has dropped 30%. Last click GA ROAS has remained the same. MER blended ROAS remained the same. And there was no difference in the allocation of spend on average. So they didn't freak out. They kept pushing within Facebook. They didn't drop out. And so what did that mean? That just means it's literally an attribution issue. It's not an effectiveness issue. Um, so basically, we've just changed our CPA targets and our cost cap targets uh, within Facebook ad accounts by the amount that it was impacted by, by this iOS 14 update. So you know, if it was impacted by 20%, hey, we're raising our cost caps 20% and trusting that this is right, and then getting a gauge of MER from there and how that was impacted by it. Uh, but we're still trying to get the same level of delivery because we truly do believe the effectiveness has remained the same. Yeah, I think, and Ray, you probably got more insight into this than I do at the moment, but I think we saw a pretty similar drop across the board in terms of attribution for, for Facebook ROAS and MER was fairly stable, but and then it largely became an education piece with clients, right? And, and that's the biggest piece. That was the, that's been the biggest challenge. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially I, I could be on one brand on top of our heads. Last five months, they've been scaling, but uh, like I said, the attribution issue, their new realistic in-platform um, CPA and in-platform ROAS is actually for you know for like a fifty dollar product, it's not fifty dollars, and their in-app in-platform turn on ad spend is a 0.8, 0.9. That's that's right. reality. But but MER has been really constant. They've been scaling. So it's just, it's an education issue. And we actually did a, we did a statistical analysis internally just to show that statistically with correlations that um, Facebook ROAS post iOS 14 has less of a meaningful change in your gross sales. So it's actually better just to focus on MER and ad spend statistically yeah. than to focus on in-platform anyways. Yeah. I mean, that's the end. We're 100% aligned there. And that's the number that everyone really cares about at the end of the day. Anyhow, um, it just becomes trickier when there's a bunch of you know, channels that they're spending on and, and they are getting the thought process of, 
example, we're getting an 8x here, we're getting a 0.78 or 0.8, whatever on Facebook. Like, should I be peeling back here and spending more there? It's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Like, we're actually hitting the numbers we, we want to be hitting within Facebook because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And the MER is actually improving. Um, so that's cool to hear that you guys have seen similar results and you're educating your clients in the same way. Just about coming up on time. Um, do you think there's anything that we haven't covered today that stands out in your mind that you think you could, could add to the conversation here? Yeah. I would just challenge people to go try this, right? Um, to give you a quick like recap playbook per se, get on Facebook Brand Collabs Manager, identification tool, step one, get on TikTok Creator Marketplace, step one, that's an identification platform for TikTok and Instagram respectively. That's where you wanna be starting relationships with influencers and seeding them. Um, identify 100, to start at 100. We typically do 500, like I said, uh, identify 100 that quantitatively align uh, with who you wanna be representing your brand. But then again, it will take some time. Don't just do that. Have a white glove approach. Go in and get a gauge of video content creation ability because that is just as important, if not more important than the quantitative data you're trying to get aligned on. Send the message verbatim. Hey, Ray. Hey, Scott. We think you're a great brand fit. We absolutely love the content you consistently put out. We think you'd love our products. We want to send it to you. No strings attached. What we mean by that is we have no expectation of you to post whatsoever. Just send us your address. We'll get this right out to you. Follow up a couple of times. If you don't hear from them, no more than five. Don't be that person. Um, you'll probably see 20% opt-in to receive the product. So if it's 100, you'll see 20 of them opt-in to receive a product at a minimum. Uh, after that, get onto Mighty Scout. That's something I actually did not talk about. Upload 20 of these profiles onto a platform called Mighty Scout. Mighty Scout costs like $2 per person that you put on there. It's incredibly inexpensive. Uh, what that allows you to do in real time is see who's posting what when, because again, we're not asking them to post at any given time. Um, so we have no clue when that happens. So instead of your team scouring the internet 24-7 for who posts what out of those 20 people, just plug them into Mighty Scout and they collect that content in real time for you where you can download it and get a gauge of the organic analytics around it. Um, and then 30% of those 20, should at a minimum end up posting. So you'll get, what is that? Six influencers and then posting two to three pieces of media each. You'll end up with 12 to 18 assets that are organically posted. I recommend doing it on TikTok specifically to get way more bang on the organic side of things. And then that content really does well when repurposed into paid media on Facebook included. Um, that content has just been crushing. So if you can do that, if you reach out and identify the 100 influencers, you end up with six influencers posting 12 to 18 assets on TikTok, I really do genuinely believe you will find yourself a big win and make yourself a believer in influencer marketing. You can see all those efforts from there. And that's pretty much everything you need to know to build out your own, your own influencer program in-house. That uh, Super, super practical and useful information, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Just a, a goldmine of information, to be honest. Um, where can people find you if they want to reach out, if they've got any questions? Take yeah, yeah. Kinship.co, kinship with a Y, K-Y-N-S-H-I-P.co is our website. Uh, my partner and I are both really active on Twitter where we're constantly giving away the tools to equip your team to run an effective marketing program internally. Um, 
But if it becomes too much work, obviously your team does this really well at Riot Hook and our team at Kinship would love to come alongside you guys too. Appreciate you coming on, man. Amazing chat. Taylor, thank you very much. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Ray. Great chat. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And if you did, we'd love for you to leave us a review on your platform of choice and help us reach as many people as we can. Now, if you're a brand founder, an e-commerce entrepreneur, or an in-house marketing manager looking to accelerate your growth this year, reach out to us at Right Hook Digital. We're a performance branding agency, and we specialize in partnering with e-commerce brands to help them hit their growth goals with maximum ROI. Now, if this sounds like a solution that you need, then check us out at righthookdigital.com and schedule a call with our client partnerships team. They'd love to have a chat with you and see how we can help you grow in 2021.